0: This is the Business of College Sports podcast
1: with your host, the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, Christy Dosh. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at Miss.
0: Welcome to the Business of College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Dash, the sports biz miss, and I am excited to be joined today by Eric Nichols from the University of South Carolina. Eric is the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Marketing and Branding, and the Chief Marketing Officer at the University of South Carolina. And he's joining me to talk about an interesting campaign South Carolina has going right now, where they have rolled back their football ticket prices to 2010 prices. After such a rough season last year, I think it's a surprise to see a program rolling back its prices. They've got the excitement of a brand new head football coach, and the reason they chose 2010 is because that is the last time Shane Beamer was on their sideline, so they've got a cool tie-in there too. So I invited Eric to come join us and talk about how they made this decision, how they expect it to work out, how they're going to be measuring success, and he has shared some fantastic nuggets. So I am excited to give you my interview with Eric Nichols. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Business of College Sports podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So I saw that you all did something pretty interesting for this coming football season. You know, we all know that athletic departments have been hit hard over the past year and uh, particularly during 2020 football season with (laughs) restricted and limited attendance. And so you would imagine that athletic departments can't wait to, you know, get back on board this fall and fill those stadiums and make as much money as they can to try to, uh, you know, fill that deficit from last year. But you guys did something really interesting. You announced you're actually going backwards with your ticket prices and going back to 2010 prices. Uh, you know, tell tell me a little bit about uh, what that plan looks like in terms of how you decided to price things this season.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. It, it's uh, I think all of us around the country are just uh, we have been scared to death since you know last March about how this is all going to shake out, and we um, we we felt that another year of people watching TV on the couch would be just devastating to us. And and I'm not talking pandemic related. I mean, if if people choose that they enjoyed watching college football from home and gathering with their friends and creating new traditions that were not in our stadiums, that that would, that would just be catastrophic. So we we felt we needed a a shot in the arm to make sure that uh, we put the best foot uh, forward to make sure that they get back into the stadium uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, we ran through several ideas. Um, ironically, there was uh, there was a lot of positive feedback in the in the social distance uh, game day uh, uh, fan experience. That was fantastic. You know, with fewer people, the restroom lines were shorter, the concession lines were shorter, and people generally just had a had a much better time. So we explored reducing seats, you know, minimizing capacity, but ultimately uh, landed on uh, reducing prices for a, a period of time. We, we went back to the 2010 uh, season, which coincided with a, a new football coach that we hired, who last was here as an assistant in 2010, but, but there was a lot more behind the scenes in the data and data modeling that, that led to ultimately landing on that, on that price.
0: And how long of a process was this from sort of having this idea to deciding exactly what it was going to look like?
1: I would say we probably started in earnest probably mid-November. And then it was finally approved in mid-January.
0: What was that initial reaction like from fans when you all announced this?
1: (laughs) It was a bit of a surprise, you know, Unfortunately, uh, we are like most uh, sports teams where prices they don't usually go backwards. And faced with a huge deficit, one might think that you have a, a loyal fan base. Let's let's raise prices to try to eat back into the, some of the revenues that we lost. But mm-hmm. um, we just took a different approach and wanted to make it. Uh, we wanted to get the stadium back full as quickly as possible. And this is this is our best uh, our, our best shot at doing that.
0: What does that look like from a budget perspective when you make this kind of decision, especially after the year that I'm sure you all had, like everybody else did last year.
1: Yeah, a little bit too, for context, we had, uh, like everyone, season tickets are dwindling and our, our team had not been performing the last couple of years, which is of course why uh, we changed football coaches. So you, you're, you're pushing against that. You're pushing against the pandemic. Um, But but budgetarily, we feel that there's value in uh, the incremental new sales that we get, and if you assume a a reasonable renewal rate on those new sales, that over uh, the next three years, it'll end up being a net positive in revenue uh, for those fans that we acquire during this campaign
0: that's something I was gonna ask you was how long do you think this takes to pay off so you're looking at about three years before that that really makes sense and you see those people sticking around long enough for it to pay off
1: right and and our modeling says it could be as soon as uh two years it just kind of depends on how it how it lands but uh based on what we're showing and the progress we have early on uh it's it's kind of performing like gangbusters I mean I think a lot of people are anxious to get back out and and, uh, enjoy life again
0: how, how easy or difficult was it to sort of get all the different stakeholders inside the athletic department on board? Because I, I know a lot of different departments end up working on football season and on ticket sales and marketing and communications and that sort of thing. Uh, what was that like internally to get everybody on board for this?
1: Sure, it was, it was a challenge. So We have a uh... A revenue committee that it's five of us from sponsorship, uh, fundraising, uh, marketing, ticket sales, ticket operations that uh, focus on things like this all the time. And the five of us were split on how we wanted to handle this. Uh, ultimately, we, we kind of advanced the ball at, at a three two vote, if you will, and <laughs> took it to our athletics director and our CFO. And, you know, it it, it probably took a month to six weeks of just back and forth negotiations internally uh, before we landed where we ultimately landed. And then of course, our board of trustees had to weigh in as well, but um, we're, we're here and we're, we're going forward. And uh, we, if anything, we may have taken too big of a risk. Uh, but if that risk is saving our fans money and hopefully getting more people in the stadium, then ultimately that's a, a risk we were willing to take.
0: And this is going to go live in less than a week from the time that we record it. So, uh, you know, when, when you all are hearing this, we're not that far removed from actually having the conversation. So I'm curious kind of at at this point in time, so we're mid April, um, what does this look like in terms of, you know, trying to either get current season ticket holders to renew or, uh, getting new ticket holders on board?
1: Sure. Well, we, um, So our renewal date for annual fund was March 31st. And our renewal uh, date for football is in the first week of May. So we're not quite at the renewal deadline, but all of our uh, KPIs are just kind of phenomenal, to be honest with you. Um, Our leads, which is how we measure new sales, uh, we have a a very aggressive leads-based strategy. And we're 33% ahead of – any any tracking that we have on record which is back to 2016 so the interest is there the um uh we have we have a little bit of a caveat in the plan where you can take the discount and turn it into a donation and we have over a hundred thousand dollars of that already donated back to us so in essence we're getting you know pr credit for the for the uh for the discount but it's turning in turning it into a donation which is which is fantastic. So um, everything is looking good. The uh, the Gamecock Club renewal rate was appropriate. It was at, I want to say it was roughly eighty percent, but it's not it's not a real deadline because you can still join until the football deadline um, and still keep your seats. So it's probably not an accurate measure yet. But uh, all all in all, I mean we're we're betting on the Gamecocks and uh, they're they've been loyal for. Uh, so many years and have shown up in 0 and 21 droughts of winds. And uh, we we we're, they're showing up now. So it's it's kind of incredible.
0: You may not know this about me, but I lived in Columbia for a year after I graduated. Columbia. I did not know that. <laughs> and before I went to law school, I was there for the Oh gosh, 2003 football season, um, and so I was very briefly a, a Gamecocks fan. Uh, I ended up going to <laughs> law school at University of Florida, so I know my uh, my Gator friends when they hear this, they're not going to want to hear that. But mm-hmm. I went to an undergrad with no football, so I had no allegiance when I moved to Columbia. Uh, and in fact, my younger brother got so into Gamecock football that year, and I want to say. Two wins that season, maybe, if I remember correctly, uh, it, it was not a great season <laughs> yeah. to try to become a fan. Uh, but for whatever reason, my younger brother did become a Gamecock fan, and still to this day, that is his football team because of the one year I lived in Columbia. Um, but you know, it was interesting because I grew up in the Atlanta area with you know a lot of friends who were Georgia fans and. Um, and moved there and have always, you know, lived in SEC country and kind of been around that. But I was always really uh impressed and sort of surprised by just how loyal uh your Gamecock football fans were. The the baseball team was on a real streak when I lived there. Um, and mm-hmm. I became a big Gamecock baseball fan while I lived there. But football was a little harder for me to get on board with, but certainly folks around the state uh were just still diehard fans. So, you know, I'm not surprised to see that, that this idea is successful and people are still hanging in there and looking forward to a new coach and, uh, and hopefully a more successful season. So, uh, there's a little piece of 2003, me that's rooting for you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 2003 was the, uh, was hopefully the beginning of the, of the good, uh, the good era. So two wins was, um, I think the O and 21 was the 2000 and 2001 years. I believe I wasn't here at that time, but those were, those were pretty lean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the good thing was the baseball team was doing awesome at that point in time. So at least there were, there was a talk yeah. sport. People could get really excited about. I remember there were times it was tough to get baseball tickets when I lived there. Um, the, and the Gamecocks yeah, no were doubt. such a big deal and, I've been back and seen the new baseball stadium, which I think is an incredible stadium. Uh, so I, I, I'm still a little bit of a Gamecock baseball fan because I really got into it while I lived there. But football was a little harder to get on board. And then I ended up after that going to law school at Florida. And they won one national championship while I was there and won the year after I graduated. So it was a lot easier to become oh, a gamer fan at that point in time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We'll we'll be sure to send your little brother some gear. How about oh, that? Oh gosh.
0: He <laughs> is the biggest GameCock fan. So for a while, he and I would go every year, um, either to Columbia or to Gainesville to see Florida and, and South Carolina play. Um, but after a while he got tired of doing that because it was during a time period where Florida was winning every single year and he just couldn't take it anymore. Oh
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> so we haven't well, been in maybe, a while. But I think we have to revive it. <laughs>
1: I think, uh, I'm pretty sure they're here this year, so maybe we can get both of you. Uh, and your families do a game. That that would be fun.
0: Yeah, I I still have a soft spot in my heart for Columbia. I enjoyed living there. And actually the the law firm that I ultimately went to work for in Atlanta after law school is based in Columbia. And so even after I ended up back in Atlanta practicing law, I would end up over in Columbia because the law firm I worked with was based there. And so it it feels like Columbia is always trying to pull me back just a little.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It it has a way of doing that. That's for sure. It's kept me here for 12 years.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I, I before I go down my, my Columbia rabbit hole any further, um, sort of thinking about this ticket strategy. And I know we we mentioned already kind of how you're measuring it in terms of new leads and that sort of thing, but you know, I, I also know you guys are really digitally savvy kind of department there. Um, you know, what does that looked like from a marketing perspective with social media or what kind of feedback have you been hearing from fans? You know, what approaches are you taking sort of in that digital space to uh, back this up? I know I saw that announcement, I think first on Twitter and saw a video with your AD announcing it. Um, and so I, I know you've probably got a good social push behind this too.
1: Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you saying that, uh, those are kind words. Uh, we have a great team here that, that is all all bought in and involved. But uh certainly on the launch it was uh heavy on the organic. We had a, a microsite to explain the, the program, and explain the whys and uh get into the nitty gritty with the FAQs on what it means. I mean <laughs> the, the first question that of course everyone uh thought was, Oh great, they're gonna give this discount to new people and not the loyal people, and then, then we could thankfully give them a positive response and say, No, no, it's for you too. Uh, that's a uh, the that an early win in the campaign, but um, so we we had a microsite. We have a, a very clean, thorough, relatively large email database that we that we hit hard, uh, that is segmented appropriately, uh, and then from there we have um, a, a ton of paid social that has been going on for the last uh, I would say eight to twelve weeks with different uh, facets of the campaign. Uh, changing about every two weeks probably, uh, leveraging Instagram, feed um, uh, uh, and story, and mm-hmm. Facebook is still a powerhouse and the paid social, of course, less on the paid Twitter, but Twitter we're, we're hammering with uh, organic pretty regularly.
0: Yeah, that's actually something I hadn't thought about before. And I I don't know, you know, how much you deal with this and whether you're going to know the answer or not. But um, it it is sort of interesting to see how the social media networks change in terms of your ability to reach folks for any of us. I mean, I I own a PR agency and I run ads on Facebook and on Instagram and it has shifted over the years. What do you guys see as your most, which uh, platform do you see the most success on in terms of, you know, reaching your fans?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still Facebook. I mean, it's the old Ford in the garage that just, you know, it just still runs as good as it can. Um, and, and until, uh, you know, until it changes, we're going to keep riding that, uh, in, in, as far as we can take it. But the leads coming from there are great. They're quality. Um, you know, we have experimented with Facebook leads, which I'm sure you know that the nuance between the Facebook leads just stays in Facebook as opposed mm-hmm. to going through our microsite and, while the lead acquisition was very low, the quality was not as good because they they may not have it uh, may not have been warmed up with all of the information that uh, would would qualify them as a good lead. Okay. So we stopped doing Facebook leads uh, a couple of years ago, um, and, and then we just exclusively send them through our microsite. So we know that I mean our close rates are north of twenty percent when we get a lead through our microsite because of that strategy, we believe.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you talked about how, you know, hopefully this pays off in the next two to three years, but do you have any idea what you're going to be looking at this season and and when is everybody going to sort of sit down and take a look at what's happened so far um, and either make some tweaks or decide, yay or nay, this was a good idea. Um, You know, how do you continue to measure this as the months go on and we get closer to football season?
1: Sure. Well, June 25th is when the, uh, the ticket promotion, the throwback pricing uh, will conclude, which is after our seat selection. And that's really, it's hard to get a clear picture of the of the season until after seat selection occurs mm-hmm. because seat selection allows, uh, you know, a, a pretty good influx of new sales, those trying to get into desirable sections. And we have four new clubs, which has been a good draw as well that, I mean, they opened last year, but of course it was pandemic. Right. Um, but from there, we'll, we'll have a good feel of where it'll shake out. I mean, I don't expect that we'll continue this pricing, certainly for the lower level and clubs in future years. But you never know. We may take a look and read the demand and, and, and make adjustments for future years after that.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. What capacity were you all at last
1: season? Uh, just under 80. Oh, last season. I'm sorry. Um, we were at 19,000 okay. with the, uh, maximum capacity.
0: And I assume that you all are planning for a hundred percent this fall. Like I think, I think most people at this point are, especially in the Southeast.
1: We, we are, we are. Yep. Yeah. We can't be our- here fast enough.
0: I don't want to ask this question because I, I don't want to even imagine that this might happen. But if there is a reason that there have to be some sort of limits this fall, I mean, do you all have contingency plans in place? Has that been discussed? Or you're just kind of moving forward with plans for 100% and then we'll adjust as needed?
1: Well, I mean, the, the fortunate thing is we went, we went through it last year. So now we know what to do. We learned a lot about what not to do. So if we have to go through that debacle again, we, we know how, how best to structure a stadium, how best to uh, structure the pod sizes, um, how best to communicate. And and most difficult was the refund and rollover processes
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is, you know, the ticket systems aren't built for doing things like that. And our, um, our associate AD for ticketing, Lance Grantham, he's just been phenomenal in the background, making all the numbers match up, which is, you know, very difficult.
0: Yeah. Is there any, and I, I don't know if you're this far into planning for the season, but is there anything fans will notice this season? Let's say they didn't come to a game last year. So they haven't been since the 2019 season, anything different in, I know you've got some new areas, but anything different in terms of uh, what they can bring into the stadium and masks and distancing, and all, all the kind of stuff that came out of the pandemic. Are there plans for that this fall?
1: um mask is probably a little bit too early to to know where where that's going to land mm-hmm. um i would say in the last two years what if, if fans didn't go last year we, we're, we have converted and will convert more concession stands to grab and go uh we've gone cashless and we will remain cashless uh at, at our concession stands all our tickets are mobile they'll remain mobile mm-hmm. uh thing, things of that nature they so, there's a bit of a nuance in our clubs. So we added these new clubs and of course the experience changes for those people in the clubs, but it also changes for those uh, not in the clubs because a few of the concourses were affected thus taking, you know, let's call it on one side of the stadium, 30% of the fans that need to go to the restroom are going to a different restroom now. So Mm -hmm. it's easing up a little bit of the concourse traffic, which should be felt uh, next year.
0: And I would love to, because I haven't gotten to see it yet. And I love facilities, Um, love checking out new facilities and seeing how people make changes to their existing stadiums. Tell us a little bit about the new clubs, in case folks didn't see that last year.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! I I was so disappointed that we couldn't launch them the right way, but um, so we were we're a little bit sweet poor, meaning we only have 18 suites, but now we're club rich. We have probably uh, An abundance of club seats, but we added a little over eight thousand club seats. There, um, there are four different clubs. One is on the, it's 110 yards down one of our sidelines. It's called the Traditions Club, which obviously talks about uh, all of the traditions of being uh, South Carolina Gamecock. Um, then there's uh, on the opposite sideline, we have the Horseshoe Club, which is a little bit more upscale. Um, uh, the Horseshoe is our, you may remember, but it's our uh, old, iconic, original campus uh, yeah. back in the 1800s. Um, so it has a little bit of a historical feel to it. Um, we added the uh, something called the 2001 Club, which is our team entrances. We call it 2001 because it comes up, they enter to 2001 Space Odyssey.
0: That I remember. Um, but it's a,
1: it's a little, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a bit of a wedge uh, area that are just loge seats. Um, but the, the, the key feature of that is that there's an open glass so fans can high-five the players as they're getting ready to enter the field, which is an awesome experience that very few people have been able to uh, participate in yet. And then finally, you probably remember the uh, rail Railroad Line, yes. which is behind the south end <laughs> of the stadium. We, uh, we turned an old weight room into the Cockaboose Club, which is my favorite club. And it's a, it looks like an old uh, rail yard and brew pub uh, had a baby. That's and um, they have access to seats right there in the south end zone. And, and those are actually the most affordable club seats in the SEC. So it was important that each of those had different price points to fit a different uh, segment of our market.
0: And D, I don't know how much you know about the, the renewals and sort of the new tickets for this year, but um, you know w- what's fans' reaction been to these new club areas and, and are those selling well during this?
1: Yeah, so the, the Lodge seats are the ones that are surprising us, but it's also not a surprise because it's new to our market. Not a lot of people have seen Lodge seats before uh, and you need to see them to kind of experience them, right? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't see them last summer and really to a limited extent it's hard to see them this year so those have been a little bit softer they're picking up a little bit of steam now that you can experience them um, but the horseshoe club the traditions club both are pretty much hard sold out the cockaboos club was uh, we hadn't got deep enough into last year's seat selection before everything was shut down to get a good read on it. So we don't, we don't quite know yet. We'll know more at the end of June. But uh, those that got to experience it last year, I mean, the, the best uh, comment that we got consistently was, wow, these feel like NFL clubs. Great job. How did you do this? You know, those sorts of comments, which just made us feel great. I mean, Steve Eigenbrad, he was the one that led that project and just did a, did a great job um, bringing that to fruition.
0: Yeah, I'm always really impressed when I go around and I see the projects that these architects have done in existing stadiums. You know, it's it's easy oh, yeah. <laughs> relatively to build something brand new, but when you're trying to kind of retrofit something it, and make <laughs> it fit an existing structure and layout, uh I, I feel like you've got to be so much more creative. But I, I see it all the time, both in pro and collegiate stadiums, where you just can't believe the stuff the architects have come up with and the made, the way they've made it fit in so seamlessly and fit with everything that's already there, but give that new and sort of elevated experience to fans. So uh, I know I look forward to seeing it. I love checking out new facilities, so I'll have to try and make it up there.
1: And and, and you would probably appreciate um, you have the context to appreciate. So we got four new clubs for the low, low price of $20 million, $22 million. So most people don't have, you know, Uh, a whole a whole facility for that but we uh we we were able to make the dollar stretch a long way so
0: awesome well i can't wait to check it out hopefully i'll be able to make it up there this fall if even not for a game at least to be able to come through and check it out and uh, really appreciate you sharing kind of the process of making this decision to roll back those ticket prices and what you guys are seeing as a result of that so far. And even though I am a Gator, I, I uh, hope you guys have a fantastic (laughs) season. I know it's exciting to get a new coach and I hope for my brother's sake, you have a good season. Otherwise uh, I'll have to hear about it on the
1: group (laughs) chat. So, (laughs) well, Christy, I I really appreciate the time and uh, that letting us tell our story. So thank you.
0: Thanks again to Eric Nichols for joining the Business of College Sports podcast. I think it was really interesting to hear about the decision-making process and what South Carolina expects to see from this rollback campaign. I'm looking forward to learning more about how this all turns out uh, later this year and in the coming years as they sort of see the long-term effect of this decision to roll back prices. If your athletic department is doing something interesting and different for this upcoming football Season, I would love to hear about it. Email me, Christy at ChristyDosh.com. You can DM me over on Twitter at SportsBizMiss. I love hearing about what everyone's doing, especially when you're trying something new and different. So don't hesitate to reach out. And if you've got an idea for an upcoming episode, I love hearing those too. Hit me up on Twitter, shoot me an email. I love hearing from you all. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the Business of College Sports podcast. And I look forward to being back with you again next episode.